her entire character teaser trailer is all shit we haven't seen before, and it's like, I hope that manifests in-game. Which is yeah. a good segue into the storytelling through, like, artifact descriptions. What we're calling the Dark Souls-style storytelling, which is, like, inventory storytelling. Because yeah. Inazuma is the first time they set that up and paid it off. And it, the payoff was amazing. Yeah, like, I straight up oh, didn't yeah. pay attention to this aspect of the game at all. I heard all of this from you guys. When you're playing through Liyue and Mondstadt and you're going through these story quests, like, the story isn't incredible. So you're forgiven for not going into item descriptions and lore. But I did because I'm crazy and was kind of frustrated because at that point, the stuff that they were putting in, they're writing like prose and amazing work, but it's not manifesting in the game. But in Inazuma, it is. It comes in the form of those three motherfuckers that you see in her character trailer. We know who they are because of artifact and inventory material. If I recall, like, the Sangonomiya book talks about Sasayuri the Tengu. The uh, Oni mask level up items talk about uh, Chio the Oni. And then obviously we know about the Kitsune Saigu from the Sakura cleansing ritual. And the excitement of having gone through the material and knowing who each of them was felt incredible and that's that's when i was just shook by what this game is doing <laughs> hopefully they will appear in the game in some kind of a character quest soon because i also want to fight Chio as a boss yeah for me it wasn't the because i didn't do the research on her companions that you did for me it was the payoff on the fatui stories that a lot of the monstat artifact descriptions tied into what was happening in inazuma because spoiler alert Senora and Crimson Witch. Yeah. Senora was of masterwork, the way that paid off. Like, it was never even told to us up front. It was all artifacts. So, for some context, the game starts out with both the Crimson Witch set and Senora's initial appearance, both in the game at the same time. There is no way you would connect them to each other at all. The story of the Crimson Witch ties across her artifact set and multiple weapon descriptions throughout, like, early Mondstadt. Like, the Favonius weapons have the story of this knight who was known as, like, the Young Wolf. And he was, like, the second- Oh, the wolf was her lover! Yes, yes. Oh! He was, like, one of the pinnacle. He was, like, the one people aspired. It was assumed he was going to be the one to take over the knights at some point, because he was the second in command at the time that right. a lot of this is happening. So he had a romance with this young woman who was, like, very scholarly, very wise beyond her years, and she left to go study in Sumeru. Uh, and while she was gone, the dragon Durin invaded Mondstadt and started, like, wreaking devastation everywhere, and he went to fight it and died in the process. Is Durin the one that's in Dragonspine? Yes, yes. That oh. is. And so she comes back from Sumeru, finds her homeland destroyed and her love dead, and her rage becomes so insanely powerful and hot that she just explodes into flame. Oh, no, it wasn't just that. It was that, like, the city was still besieged by monsters, and Venti was flat out asleep during it. So she yeah, used Venti her... was not here. Venti was not here. So she so, ended so... up using her fire powers to, like, wipe out the monsters, and then afterwards... Oh my god, she saved Mondstadt? She essentially used all of her research to do what Alice would have done, and just burned wave after wave of monsters. And yeah. 
like continued to experiment until like she just flat out transformed her own body into that of essentially an elemental so she j- could just continue to fight and fight because her her goal after all of this was i'm going to wipe out all corruption and monsters on the planet like just destroy all evil in this world to make up for what i've lost and then that like kind of leads in to the next part of her story which comes from the pale flame set which Again, they introduced this to, like, no fanfare. This was just like, oh, a new artifact set. This will be great for, you know, the physical damage users, whatever. No, like, I I didn't see discussion about this until you brought it to my attention, Beef. There is one item, I think it's the flower, that talks about um, a woman collapsing in the snow in Shneznaya and being found by the leader of the Fatui. He basically offers her a chance to quell the flames and, like, give her some comfort. And she is accepted to the Fatui, becomes a harbinger, and is clad in white. And that's the point in the story when it's revealed, oh, Signora is the Crimson Witch. Yeah. Like, that is that is the first indication we got of that, and it was an artifact description that no one paid attention yeah. to. Which is yeah. underscored by the description for the cryo-crystal chunk, because the description for that is literally that Tsaritsa speaking to Signora in the moment she gives her her ice powers and brings her into the Harbinger's fold. Yeah, and essentially all of this happened in the background to such little fanfare. The actual correlation between them was fairly... You could have made the inference that uh, the Crimson Witch set and the Pale Flame set were talking about the same person. However, it was still a little bit ambiguous. Um, Yeah, like, it could have been Alice. Like, at this point in the story, all you see of Signora is her just being a two-dimensional antagonist. Well, all we know her for is the lady yeah. who kicks Venti when, like, the story Denouement should be victorious. And then to show up at the end of Zhang Li's story being like, it was all a work, uh, like, good job on passing the test, but you were never a player on this board. Get the fuck out. Like, she's always one step ahead of you, but it's never sort of... You, you like you never get her. Well, and, and that's kind of just the the fascinating thing about this is that most of the artifact sets talk about events that happened like hundreds or thousands of years prior to the story. So the information that they're feeding you is not meant to be contemporary with what's happening in the game. It's meant to be a story of the world leading up to this point. So there was no reason to believe that the story of the Crimson Witch would carry over into the current storyline. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then when it does, because she fights you and gets the boss card, you know, Rosalind Krushka, the Crimson Witch of Flames, and you realize, like, oh, this bitch's story is centuries in the making. It seems like she's, you know, if she's going to beef it now, it's early in our story, but it's the end of her. She has had her story, and it's long, and it's crazy, and it has this explosive, fiery end. And reaching that realization in that moment where you're like, oh, Raiden's gonna, like, kick her out of Inazuma. Nope. Dead. She kills her, and she faces her death with, like, the rage and defiance of a hundreds years old slighted demigod and screaming her absolute last fuck yous at the universe. It's so good! And, and up to this point, she had been the primary antagonist. Like, she was the one harbinger that we took the most seriously because she was the one where, that always snatched victory out of our hands at the last second. And, like, yeah. now she's just gone. And I think it was worth noting, too, that, like, essentially everything in Genshin, 
the fight against Senor was also leaked. However, because of the circumstances surrounding it, it actually didn't spoil any of the aspects of the story. Because sort of as we saw with Child in uh, Lile, the assumption kind of was that if you're fighting a Harbinger, they're going to have one form and then transform into another for one reason or the other. So when Senora did that, the, I think the assumption was, oh, she's activating her delusion and going into a super mode. Not, right. um, this is her true form um, manifest. And really, her harbinger powers, as she refers to it, are really more of a limiter on her abilities rather than uh, the abilities themselves. Which I yeah. think was really masterful, because it's another case where um, in 2.1, the leaks were just not the full story, and the full story ended up being so much more interesting. It is it is almost insane how much it feels like the leaks were a swerve. Like, it, it could not be. It could not be, but it just goes to show just how well it's being made. That, it's yeah. not like that way where, it, like, some, you know, Western directors not going to name names, but, like, they'll they'll yep. see the fans, uh, you know, reacting to something and calling, like, oh, this is what I think is going to happen. So they're just like, oh, well, we got to rewrite it because we don't want them to be right. Or this is like they'd already laid the groundwork enough to where people thought they knew where it was going, but just had a little, like, few extra details that they were missing to connect the pieces. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It was, it was just It great. was so good. Having tread on all those story spoilers and still being, like, floored and surprised and pleased. It was just, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I think that in terms of sort of passing Senora as a necessary hurdle, she was very much like the villain of the default game. But again, we have like, what, 10 other Harbingers to get to? Nine other Harbingers? Like, she she was never going to likely last the entire time. But um, yeah, the fact that they essentially let her go on like, I think that in spite of the fact that the story never engaged the backstory beyond the item descriptions, I think those item descriptions were so compelling that, like, yeah. Yeah. It, she did actually get the full breadth of the story. Even if yeah, I don't, from, from all the fan art and all the fan discussions I've seen, I don't think a single person feels like Senora was slighted as a built-out character. Like, yeah. like, if you're going to let her go, then tie her back into all this stuff that stretches back centuries, and they did. Yeah, it, she might be gone, but we are not forgetting that bitch anytime soon. I'm still gonna like hope and pray that a nerfed version of you comes out as like a god puppet, like rollable character. Yeah, I mean, we gotta at least get that caddy. The caddy yeah. looks so good. Yeah, and seeing the the Scaramouche reveal from also the Pale Flame set like pay off. Not not in the way that I'd hoped. Like I'd hoped that he was gonna kind of acknowledge it a little bit more than just like getting the the afterward explanation from Yai. But like having that pay off and see like, oh yeah, don't worry, we're following through on all of these plot points is like really rewarding. Yeah. But like that's that's just how masterfully they managed to tell this story. And because of it, I'm now actively reading like the item descriptions and the weapon descriptions and the artifact descriptions that previously I had mostly ignored. Because now I'm like, oh my god, there's so much more to this story in here now. It's exciting. Everything comes down to like split second references, like in Raiden's backstory animatic, where it shows her killing the Thunderbird that is presumably the same Thunderbird in the uh, lightning artifact set. As well as um, likely the result of the Thunderman infestation on Sarai Island. Right. 
there's just so much there, and just an astonishing amount of it was in the base game. It's like, again, it's like if Dark Souls storytelling paid off, if the little nuggets that they put in your inventory descriptions actually came to fruition. And it creates this, like, suspense, and you get to theorize about it with other fans. It's like watching a TV show and guessing what's going to happen next episode or next season. It's what makes this live game service, like, even more compelling. It gives people time to kind of pick up on things, and then they are forced to sit and process those things and come up with guesses that then get paid off in a way that they couldn't if all of this was released at once. So uh, we're going to break from our story discussion to kind of talk about, like, the current events around Genshin as a product. Uh, obviously, we've talked a lot about, like, the Raiden Shogun coming out with this kind of mystique of all the leaks like surrounding her and that factored into a kind of one of her biggest contentions right now which is that she changed in i would say significantly like not a bunch but in a way that is significant from her beta testing appearance namely her burst no longer can take advantage of beto's burst and that was something that was in the closed beta testing that people were really looking forward to when Raiden came to the the main game, and turns out that that had been stripped from her kit. That was a huge uproar. It, it wasn't as bad as like the Zhongli release outcry, as far as like this is a busted, defective character, because it really was one character interaction. But I think that combined with the fact that a a lot of low to free to play spenders would have just gotten access to a Beto because of her Thunder Sphere event. And B, a lot of Raiden's release seems like it was centered around people paying for her. <laughs> Raiden feels like a lot of her best ability is locked behind her constellations, i.e., you have to roll multiple Raidens. And on top of that, like, it's no accident that she came out right after the paid currency top up bonus reset. This is a character who was designed for people to try to get multiple times as feasibly as possible. Or or at least encouraged to spend money on. Yes, exactly. She's one of the seven gods of the game. She looks really cool. She has a really cool kit. Of course, they're going to milk her. But did they milk her too hard? It's a tough call because... We don't have any insight as to what's going on behind the scenes with their monetization model. Inazuma also brought back a lot of old players or a lot of people who had kind of fallen off, you know, got like came back in because, you know, let's face it, I'm not going to say that there was a content drought because there was always an event going on, but we were getting pretty burnt out back during the Lantern Rite, and that was in like February, right? Yeah, there was definitely a sense of burnout at that point. I think Inazuma was how they were counting on making a lot of their money back. I don't know when the planning phase it would have like made sense for them to do this. Yeah, who, who's to say? Because we know that they were, you know, like like everything else on this planet, impacted by COVID delays. Yeah. yeah. Okay, like from an outsider perspective, their business plan seems to make complete sense, especially if Raiden's banner was pushed up. Like it, it felt a little early to me. Now, granted, it was right when she had become relevant, so it's it's really hard for me to say whether her coming out coincided with the top up renewal. I think that absolutely was a choice. I, like the top up renewal either would have been at the anniversary 
or when like or before it like uh, like maybe otherwise kokomi would have come out before raiden yeah i was honestly expecting yeah, kokomi and yai before raiden and then yeah. raiden was basically the third banner of inazuma did we already talk about the mihoyo leaker crackdown um so yes in response to catching that heat because of leaked information mihoyo has started cracking down on leakers leakers got kind of spooked by the announcement and have seemed to have dropped out of the leak scene um but leaks are still happening i i don't i wouldn't know firsthand but they are it's interesting because like delve into it the more complicated it gets on the one hand it's like how entitled are you to the content of a leaked beta it is a beta it is their discretion to change anything right if you plan around a beta content and you get fucked, you can't blame Mihoyo for that. You weren't that's information you're not even supposed to be privy to. But on the other hand, leaks are kind of the great equalizer in this game that uses a known predatory monetization uh, model in, in gotcha in what is essentially gambling. Like Mihoyo doesn't do roadmaps. They don't do, you know, bi-monthly warframe type dev streams and when you're talking about a a game that's like it's half gambling half you know put enough money into your pity and someone will pop out like people need to be able to plan ahead yeah for, for what they're going to spend their money on so and that that actively benefits them a little bit more because then it, I it's think like so. yeah because then people who might be like too afraid to like ever spend any money because they don't want to be like screwed on anything would then look at it and go okay, I know I'm going to want this. I have enough to, like, roll this many times, and if I don't get it, maybe I'm willing to throw in, like, the 10 bucks to push me over the pity line. Exactly. It really underscores Genshin's very interesting position in the gotcha market overall because pity turns it from pure gambling to something you can plan for. Well, and this is an interesting think, point because I actually think MiHoYo doesn't want to do that because at the end of the day, their business model is you know gotcha and like the core of that is fomo and impulse spending you know like any sort of pre-planning does sort of run contrary because they don't want people to have that kind of roadmap regardless of how mihoyo as a company feels about it like you know we, we could give them like the benefit of the doubt on it it is still based on a gambling system. Yeah. And they do still want people to see something they like, have their, like, monkey brain neurons activate, and then just, like, throw money at it, you know? Exactly. Like, like it's, yeah. It's, like, I'm, I'm not here to make excuses for MiHoYo. I think they are as brilliant of a company as they are greedy. For yeah. sure. They want people to spend as much as, they, as possible. I, I think, right. like, the best sort of, like, thing they could possibly do is, like, give us character previews ahead of time and, like, give us, like, the build information, but that's probably not going to happen. They would never do right. that. No, like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm talking, like, ideal world here. I'm, I'm talking, like, yeah. you know, like, in a perfect world, that's what it would be. Like, I'm, I'm coming from the FGO world where the versions were out of sync with each other and the JP version was two full years ahead of the American version. So but, you we, did effectively get a preview, but certainly not through the game company's uh, volition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. as far as like how like Delightworks worked with FGO, is they would just pretend that everything was new on social media and stuff. The one thing I do like that Mihoyo does is when a character is out, the test run system is awesome. It's great yeah. to be able to get hands on yeah. with that and play with that. They should do another version of the test run where it's like, okay, show me how the character works in the context of my team. Because yeah. then 
once the character is out, this doesn't dig into their bottom line, then you could do all of the, like, build crafting and stuff. Because, you know, the thing is that, like, reusing Kaya, Shangling, Barbara, Amber, and Lisa for all of the test runs doesn't actually give me a huge amount of context for how I'm supposed to use a character. It shows me, like, totally. some of the things that they can do, but it doesn't, like, get to those finer details that I think you were alluding to. Yeah, like something as specific as the Raiden Beto interaction would be something yeah. that would be clear in a test run. I don't think they would ever add a way to get your personal team into the previews for the character du jour. Mostly because that probably is extra work that they don't want to put in, or maybe can't because you have, you have to allocate your resources at the end of the day. <laughs> They probably make a point of stocking the, the rest of the team with, like, free-to-play characters because that they know that everybody's got those. those. Yeah, yeah that, that was my thought, too. Like, everyone has these characters and, like, they are the base of the game. But I think, like, if they wanted to, to, like, you know, like, get into, okay, people want to do build crafting and, like, have the tools for that, you know... If they felt nice that day, that would be a nice thing for them to do. <laughs> to be fair, like, in their character quests, you get that character added to your team. So you can, like, team craft. But also, like, they usually have some constellations, so it's not really what you're going to get. Yeah. Which which is, you know, the FOMO. Constellations and five-star weapons, yeah, you might not yeah, have. Yeah, all of, all of the stuff yeah. and all of the, like, pomp and circumstance of someone who has wailed on getting all their stuff. Yeah. Honestly, it is going to be interesting to see what her sales figures are overall. Yeah. Like, I wonder if she's going to have a steep drop-off. Or if people are going to keep rolling for those cons. Because, like, whatever makes them the most money is the model they're going to follow. So it will be interesting to see what Raiden do. Yeah. It's, this is not a low-spenders game. It's definitely not a free-to-play play. Oh, for game. sure not. Like, <laughs> like, why would it yeah, be? They wouldn't, pick the, they wouldn't pick this business model if they weren't relying on their top 1% spenders. Straight up, I got Mona uh, exactly a week ago. Thanks to Battle Pass items, I have gotten her to level 76. It would have taken me so much longer if I hadn't done that. Like, it's it's disgusting how much, like, faster it is to just get your characters up from just buying the Battle Pass. I do think the Battle Pass is a good value, because it's basically, like, it's a month sub. Yeah. Like, that plus Valken is 15 bucks. Yeah, um, was, yeah it's, it's, not, it's not offensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, buying Primo gems is offensively expensive. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's it's a sketchy model. It is always going to be a sketchy model. There's, like, things I've noticed that are there in other free-to-play games that they seem to just sort of arbitrarily do for almost no reason. A lot of the time-gating is so brutal, and I don't understand why. Especially when, like, you get up to the higher world and adventure ranks, and it, yeah, like, yeah. I'm basically being punished for being at a high level. That's not a good feeling. Like, you know, in Fate, like, you can get a character up there pretty quickly through the same amount of grinding. I mean, it, I honestly think it's just because they literally can't put out characters at a rate where you can have them, like, get them and then immediately have them leveled, because that would actually de-incentivize you from continuing to roll, but at the same time, it's like, I can't That's even, true. like, play with, you know, like, what I paid for exactly. until weeks like, later, yeah. so, you know, it's it's a... I mean, like, it, it's working for them, because they're still making money off of it, and I'm still playing yeah. the game, but it is, like, 
okay, it's actually weird that you haven't sold me some way to level them up. I don't think I would buy it, but it's weird that, like, there is no fast track for just getting resources outside of the battle pass. In this one case, like, counting on that greed did not work out. <laughs> totally. There's, there's like, a, the level like literally, except for paying Primo gems to replenish your resin, which is a horrible exchange rate. Yeah. All right, so, like, what are your hopes for the remainder of 2.1? We got Kokomi coming up. Any, we got some events. Like, what are your hopes? I want to see that moon chase. I want it to be fun. I want it to be full of character interactions. I want that good, good writing from Inazuma to spill back into a region where most of my characters are from and all the people that I'm invested in. That is yeah, yeah, same. I, I want to see Jinyan and Changyun rock out on stage. Yeah, my I, want to see, I want to see Yanfei hanging out with her cousin Ganyu. I want to see my divorced moms, Beidou and Ningguang. Uh, it's going to be great. Yeah, because it's was... definitely going to make up for Lantern Rite because you really didn't see them do anything goofy during Lantern Rite. Moonchase looks like it's gonna like they they put fucking uh, Kitching on the cover for it, so we'll yeah. finally find out what a Kitching is. Yeah, what's her deal? Maybe I have no class. idea, but she I've accidentally C fived her. Damn. They want Kokomi to get a good character quest so that we have more explanation for why she needed to be in the story because so far we don't really have one. I mean, there is an explanation, and that's we need two hydro characters who to refer to each other as comrades. Let the shipping begin. I want to still, in spite of everything, roll a ride in during the last couple of days where she's available. That's not likely to happen, but I can dream. Uh, I'd like to get good artifact rolls. Like, please. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, Dying. I feel that. <laughs> also, I would like to not be spooked and accidentally get a C6 Kaching because that way. <laughs> please, <laughs> please let us know if that happens. Oh god, okay. Well, I'll keep I, posted. I don't think I've seen Kaching in my whole life. Well, if I accidentally see a six her, I will be contractually obligated to use her, so uh, I guess <laughs> if that yeah. happens, you will see her a lot more. <laughs> Alright. But yeah, I think that's gonna I think that's gonna do it for us, so thanks for visiting the Shade Chamber. See you next time, travelers. <laughs>